Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Podfather is delivering fantasy football podcasts even when on vacation on the other side of the United States. We bring you shows. And while traveling in limousines and in first class, you know I'm pulling up that underdog app. I look for that little doggy. Oh, he's so cute. I pull him up. And within three minutes, I'm live drafting, baby. And all I have to do is upload the best ball rankings from the world famous draft kit. And it preloads my preferences. And I could literally draft on underdog with my eyes closed. So if you have some downtime or you're busy, but you can multitask, Underdog is there for you right on your phone. Get the app today. Promo code UNDERWORLD. We have found this year's Clyde Edwards-Solaire, the player that sits at the intersection of vividness bias where the eye test meets the lie test. Because I'm a human being who watches football highlights just like every other human being that watches football highlights. And I am susceptible to decisions based on wow factor. I, kn- I know that. And I'm now seeing a day three wide receiver getting hyped because of wow factor plays in big moments finally broke out in his final year at one of the top programs and looked good doing it. This was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in 2019. Came out of nowhere to vault into the top five running back prospects in the 2020 draft. And this year, that guy is Cornell Powell. He's not even a running back. Cornell Powell is some combination of Hakeem Butler and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Hakeem Butler just hung around, hung around, hung around at Iowa State. Once Alan Lazard finally left, Butler was able to break out. And we had fantasy analysts pushing Butler up to the wide receiver one slot in rookie drafts before he went in day three. And some really good analysts, some of the best analysts in the business, were touting Hakeem Butler. And Nate Liss has been touting Cornell Powell recently. And I understand why. I get the fascination when given an opportunity to catch passes from Trevor Lawrence as part of this Clemson offensive machine. He did put up three straight 100-yard games and then was excellent in the playoffs against Ohio State. Eight catches, 139 yards, and two touchdowns. You watch that game, you're like, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? Oh, this talent pipeline they have there in Clemson. Clemson Tigers. Check out this talent pipeline. Look at this. Look at this Cornell Powell. Came out of nowhere, man. I get it, man. I get it. And he looks good doing it. He looks explosive. He looks smooth. But you know who else looked explosive and looked smooth while putting up video game numbers in his final season? Yeah, Hakeem Butler. You know who looked more agile and explosive in the context of a super prolific spread offense led by an NFL quarterback? Clyde Edwards-Solaire. That's why we have to analyze these players in context. 
and figure out, is it more important that Cornell Powell had 140 yards in the final game of his career at age 23.5? Five years he spent at Clemson before finally breaking through at the end of his fifth year? What's more important, those wow factor plays at the very end against cornerbacks that are two, three, four years younger than him? Or is it more important that he couldn't break through until now? I like Hunter Long because he was so successful relative to the other receivers in that Boston College passing game. He was able to put up 500-plus yards in the context of the Boston College offense is a lot more impressive than a wide receiver putting up 1,000 yards in one of these hyper-prolific offenses. That's why teammate score matters. It's why level of competition matters. It's why we have the breakout finder. When you pull up the breakout finder, you'd be shocked, shocked to see how low Cornell Powell's breakout rating is because the breakout finder looks at all of the player's individual measurements and measurables and statistics in context of teammate score and level of competition and size and athleticism and draft capital puts it all together. When you think back to receivers of the past, Cornell Powell reminds me of a receiver that actually went to Clemson. I'm not comparing them because they had the same helmet in college. I'm comparing them because it's similar situations. Deion Kane comes out early after flashing for multiple seasons at Clemson. Multiple seasons where he was delivering wow factor plays on a big stage. Deion Kane comes out. NFL looks at him at sixth round pick. Cornell Powell, wow factor plays on a big stage. Comes out at fifth round pick. But because Powell goes to Kansas City, Deion Kane goes to the Colts. Well... Not interested in Kane, but oh, talk to me about this Cornell Powell. I'm getting a drag. Talk to me more. Talk to me dirty. When you peel it back, it's it's not it's not complicated. Cornell Powell doesn't have an impressive size or athleticism, and he was never dominant in college, and he played all five seasons, and he couldn't crack the starting lineup until halfway through his fifth year with multiple injuries in front of him on the depth chart. If that's what it takes for you to flash in college... You're not destined for NFL stardom. That's what the breakout finder is telling you. It's a vanishingly low probability that you break out. Whereas you take another fifth-round pick, Amir Smith-Marset, his breakout rating is quadruple Cornell Powell. And yet, there's no buzz about Amir Smith-Marset. Why? Because he's tethered to Kirk Cousins. He's not sitting comfortably under the wing of the Patrick Mahomes dragon. Meanwhile, Amir Smith-Marset has a cleaner, clearer path to starter snaps in the NFL. And he doesn't need you to rationalize his lack of production in college. Oh, he was parked behind other superstars. Yeah, like who? Like who? T. Higgins? Right? T. Higgins T. Higgins wasn't there in the first half of the 2020 season. Although he was stuck behind Amari Rodgers. Oh, at what point do we ask a little more of our wide receiver prospects? I mean, Mike Williams was delivering wow factor plays in big moments at Clemson year after year, and he goes in the first round, and even he barely crested 1,000 yards once in four years. But he is the actual starter tethered to a quarterback who is one of the few with Patrick Mahomes level arm talent. So I'm in on Mike Williams at this point in his career. Now that he did show that, okay, I can go out and give you a thousand yards. I can go out and give you double digit touchdowns. Okay. You show me that and you're walking into the starting X receiver role in a Justin Herbert offense. Yes, I'm interested. You were drafted in the top 10. You have shown that you can produce at the NFL. Cornell Powell has shown us none of this. None of this. He's so much more similar to Deion Kane than he is Mike Williams. And yet I'm supposed to get excited about Cornell Powell? I'm not going to take him over Amir Smith-Marset. There's a reason why we're the only service you're going to find 
that's got Smith-Marset ranked ahead of Cornell Powell. Well, us and the Minnesota Vikings, because the Minnesota Vikings had both available to them, and they chose Smith-Marset. And Smith-Marset will likely produce earlier and for an extended period of time at the NFL level where I don't see that for Cornell Powell. Cornell Powell will likely be a game day inactive to start the season where Amir Smith-Marset's going to be the starting punt returner, kick returner, and he could be starting in three receiver sets as early as week one. Why wouldn't you play Amir Smith-Marset next to Adam Thielen? Put Thielen at Y, Smith-Marset at Z. Why not? Why not? He's perfectly suited to the role. Smith-Marset and Cornell Powell are both three-star prospects, but Smith-Marset actually broke out and was productive in the context of a slow-paced conservative offense, as opposed to Cornell Powell running free as Trevor Lawrence's third or fourth option. The defense can't just home in on Amir Smith-Marset in that Iowa passing game. Defenses have a lot of players to worry about, and Cornell Powell's not high on the list when facing Clemson. So Cornell Powell just happened to be dropped in a situation where he could not fail. Just like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was dropped into a situation in LSU where he could not fail. He was the third or fourth weapon that the defenses cared about. So of course the running lanes will be wider. Of course defenders will be taking bad angles at you. Because they're coming from an impossible situation. Trevor Lawrence and that Clemson offense put defenders in an impossible situation. And it makes a Cornell Powell look a lot like Mike Williams did at Clemson. But when you zoom out, you look at the data clinically, as the breakout finder does, it's not impressed. It's saying, we've seen something like 2.5% of wide receivers that look like Cornell Powell ultimately break out in the NFL. Where if you're super active on special teams and you're productive during your college career, you come out early and you flash explosive athleticism at your pro day, the breakout finders be like, yeah, yeah, this guy has a way, way better chance of breaking out. So I relish these situations where we can highlight two players to highlight the power of Player Profiler and our apps, the Dynasty Dominator app and the Breakout Finder app in the App Store. This right here. You have a player on one hand who's getting absolutely zero hype. No conversations happening on Dynasty Reddit about this player. No one sharing highlights of this player. No one cares. And yet the metrics that matter suggest he's four times likely to break out. Then the other guy drafted in the fifth round that for some reason many fantasy gamers are fixated on at this moment. This is it. These are the decisions that you make in a rookie draft at the end of a startup that help to build out the back of your bench in Dynasty. And it's these micro decisions of do I go Smith-Marset or do I go Cornell Powell, which reverberate into the future and the impact from stacking these metrics-based, probability-based decisions is that over time, the depth and breadth of the talent profile of your team and dynasty expands at the expense of your league mates, and that's how you build a super team. Super teams start with the decision to draft Amir Smith-Marset over Cornell Powell. Just like last year, it was Jonathan Taylor over Clyde Edwards-Solaire. And the year before that, it was A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf and Debo Samuel and Terry McLaurin, and even Deontay Johnson and Paris Campbell over Hakeem Butler. That's the power of the breakout finder. And we provide information to fantasy gamers on multiple levels. You can go to every player's player page and then you can do your own self-assessment based on all the key metrics. Or you can access an app like the breakout finder where we're going to give you the answers to the test. We're going to plug all that information into a machine that learns from all the past outcomes of wide receiver prospects and running back prospects. And it will give you the probability. 
The shit is woke. And Podcorn is woke. Podcorn is a sponsor of this show. Talked about them last week. Every day I wake up, I check my email to see what new brands are looking for podcasters to talk about their products and services. I just opened up the Podcorn app for podcasters. I see Fulfill Right, which is a logistics program that boosts customer satisfaction and helps small businesses scale. Omaha Steaks. Who doesn't want to talk about Omaha Steaks? And a number of podcasts I didn't even know about. I started listening to podcasts that I found out about on Podcorn because those podcasts are looking for other podcasters to get the word out about their podcast. And for years, I tried to crack this code of how do I get brands that I know my listeners want to learn about to sponsor the show. And the answer is podcorn.com. It is becoming the marketplace to connect podcasters with sponsors. I know a lot of people use middlemen, agencies, brokers, third parties, but the beauty is with Podcorn, no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. And you still own your podcast. You still own your content. They want to let someone else own the Mind of Mansion show, Roto Underworld Radio? No way. But with Podcorn, I don't need to give up any rights to the show or the content. And I get to tout brands I like. I already know that you want to know about Smile Brilliant. So it's a win, 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 win. The brand wins. The podcaster wins. The audience wins. You're welcome. Check it out. Podcorn.com forward slash podcasters. Now let's go talk to Derek Brown, making his debut on the Mind of Mansion program. Be sure to follow him at D-B-R-O underscore F-F-B on Twitter. Welcome to the Road to Wonderworld radio program from FTN. <laughs> because we have a fever and he has the cowbell. Derek Brown! Talk to me. Oh, Matt. I don't know if I'm going to be able to load that intro, man. That was amazing. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I kind of nailed it. I got it. I got it. It was a good one. 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 That was awesome. I mean, anytime you get an, an intro of that level, I feel like I've got to come in here just shooting lasers. Like, fire's going to be coming in my mouth to live up to that type of intro. Raise the bar. We're raising the bar on the Road to Wonder World Radio, baby. So, you're a big Dynasty guy. That's why I have you on. We're still talking Dynasty. It's not quite. We're still we're holding on to the last vestiges of Dynasty season. We can, we can see it slipping away as the sun's going down on the horizon, but there's still a little bit of dynasty talk to be done. You're in a bunch of dynasty leagues. How are your dynasty teams looking, buddy? Pretty good right now. I mean, right now is the time in between some of these camps and the rookie fevers. It's still present, but it's dying down a little bit where you're trying to like maybe move some guys, get a, get out ahead. Like maybe some of these guys that uh, they're not quite, or they're, they're at the age apex, but people are willing to buy in, you know? So right now is, uh, uh, this is the time where, I'm trying to move some players. I'm trying to get younger, trying to get some guys off the squad before they hit that wall and then be like, they're going to retire on your squad. That That's what I'm doing right now. Who's on the block right now? Are you in talks with anyone where you're 
explaining why this player is attractive to someone else, but not necessarily your roster. <laughs> it's always the move. It's always the move. He's so pretty, and I hate to get rid of him. He, he, he fits really well on your team. My team, I can't really use him. You're more win now. I mean, really, look at your team. You got the squad that's going to be top three, top five. You're going for the championship, baby. Come on. You need T.Y. Hilton. That's the final piece for you. You got to get these guys. Like, I mean, right now, like, I mean, I I just shipped off Robert Woods. I said bye-bye as painful as it was. I I got rid of him. I got out last year, and I knew, I knew I was biting the bullet because I knew he was in for a monstrous season. I got out from a Devontae Adams. I mean, and that's feeling pretty good right now, considering all things. You're feeling fine about that. The Robert Woods especially, anytime you can get out after a guy has one of these monster touchdown seasons, you know, touchdown rate was 7%, which is high for a wide receiver. If you're going to put up less than 1,000 receiving yards – with eight touchdowns, then you're on the right side of the touchdown luck, whereas Cooper Cup last year was on the wrong side. Robert Woods was typically on the wrong side of the red zone target share in Los Angeles. It happened to flip last year, so now you're flipping Robert Woods. It just makes sense. And a lot of these guys, whether it's you're trying to get out ahead of dynasty circles, you're also trying to acquire some of these other guys on your squads where maybe the narrative's wrong or you don't believe in the narrative. Like I, I, I was talking about it on Twitter earlier today. It's like if we thought that Pittsburgh had a good quarterback that was possibly going to come in and not just be total garbage can next year, why are we so low on these Pittsburgh wide receivers? Like considering, I mean, Chase Claypool balled out in his rookie season and we're like, okay, we're worried about Big Ben and blah, 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 blah. Like, I mean, if we could say, I mean, come, come on, man. If we could say even a replacement-level quarterback, like Jimmy G goes to Pittsburgh. San Francisco says bye-bye. Like if he ends up in Pittsburgh. That would be a very Pittsburgh move because they hate rebuilding. They're allergic to rebuilding. Absolutely. And, I mean, look, he's got the gaudy contract. I get that. But could could they restructure? Could could San Francisco move him on, like, after Trey Lance, like, breaks out in a monster way? I think it could happen. And if that's the case, if we're talking about even replacement-level quarterback play, or, heck, considering where Ben's at in his career, a step up, that some of these guys, we're not as high or as high as we should be on them. Right. We're going to add an upside quotient. This is something that Josh Larkey's talked to me about. We need to illustrate the upside and volatility of players on our dynasty rankings to help people see, oh, this player has more asymmetrical upside than the next player. And of all the wide receivers in that you know, Cortland Sutton tier of the rankings, I think that Chase Claypool has the most upside of all of them because – He has the 99th percentile speed score, incredible burst, and he's huge. Like He's 6'4", 238, where I thought there was a case to be made where if he's not a polished receiver, have him play some snaps at tight end and see what happens. But as it turns out, they said no. They said, we're going to post this guy up out at X on day one of his rookie season, and as it turns out, he started developing late in his career because he came from Canada where they did not have the football camp infrastructure like they have the United States. So he comes to Notre Dame as this raw project, and then he finally breaks out all over the place, goes way over 1,000 yards in his final season at Notre Dame. So there I can put together a rationale for why 
it took him more time to break out than other wide receivers and ease the concerns, right? You're like, oh, well, maybe there's a reason why it took him longer to develop than other receivers based on his, his history. And he said, well, yeah, look at what I did in the NFL. Forget college, forget Notre Dame now, pay attention to the NFL. So in this particular situation, he had the highest touchdown rate of any wide receiver last year, but he's only 22 years old. He's about to turn 23, this is not a guy you're selling. This is a guy that you're buying. Oh, absolutely. And then we're talking about the size speed metrics, the fact that he just jumps off the page. And it, look, I know Juju's back there on a one-year deal, but after that, it's him and Deontay. Him and Deontay and Najee just leading this offense. They get better quarterback play. Juju's admitted this. He's admitted this. He said, I wanted this prove-it deal because the cap would be depressed in 2021. This was a known, known across the league, and he was shopping for a comfortable one-year deal so that he could go break the market next year. He's so delusional about his own abilities, in a good way. <laughs> you have to be. If you're an athlete at that level, you have to think that you're the absolute best because well, a lack of confidence is the worst possible affliction. So he thinks he's going to break the market next year. That's his mindset going into this season, and you have to love that. I actually decided for the first time that I was going to go into a startup in complete rebuild mode from the beginning. It was going to be productive struggle, trying to win in 2022 and beyond, and I drafted both Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool thinking – in 2022, Juju's decision to leave is going to open up targets for Claypool and allow him to go somewhere else where he can be the number one potentially. So to me, that was the perfect productive struggle move was to take two guys on the same team that are going to cannibalize each other this year, knowing they're going to on-ramp into something bigger next year. I love that move, and I think there's a lot of teams that you can do that. Whether you wanted to draft, you, like you're talking about, Juju and Claypool, you wanted to go, uh, say you wanted to go Amari or CD, and you wanted to get Gallup later, like Gallup moving on after this year. Right, yeah, yeah, CD and Gallup would have been perfect. Yes. CD and Gallup is, is exact. I took Gallup in that league as well because Gallup can't hit his potential as the number three in Dallas, even though he's in that offense, the way he hits his potential in Dallas is there's an injury, okay? So yes, of course, Amari Cooper ruptures his Achilles. It's going to be so on for Michael Gallup. It's going to be crazy, right? You talk about asymmetrical upside in that Dallas offense. But assuming that doesn't happen, you're hoping that he can bounce back from last year, which he will. I think he had the most unlucky season of all wide receivers. No one suffered from bad luck more last year than Michael Gallup, from the target accuracy from the quarterbacks to the murderer's row of opposing alpha corners that he had to face out at X each and every week. He goes to another team where he can be the more undisputed alpha in 2022. He might go on and have a career year. He might have a 1,300-yard season in him. So he's another great productive struggle wide receiver for those that aren't planning to be competitive this season. Absolutely. And those are the types of wide receivers you're looking, okay, have they flashed? What, what What's the outcome after this year? And we, as Dynasty, we look at contract situations. Who are the guys that have the certainties for one year, two years? Or are they moving on? And could the needle be pointing up? And Gallup's the guy, like, he's a fantastic target. If something happens in that Dallas passing attack, 
He's a guy yeah. that if he goes over a thousand yards this year and he lands somewhere in a good contract, like I mean, look, it, even after this year, we're talking about if he were to go to say, okay, say DJ Chark doesn't do anything in Jacksonville this year, he's an unrestricted free agent in 2022. Visca doesn't pop. Do they sign Gallup and he's the contested downfield threat for Jacksonville now attached to Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, he, he's a very he's actually very similar to Marvin Jones in that way. Yes. Yes, he can play any position on the football field, but he can take the bullet out there at X and line up on the line of scrimmage against alpha cornerbacks, and he can win. He's shown that he can do it. He has an 1,100-yard season on his resume. That's the thing. I don't care about Michael Gallup's athleticism or Colorado State resume anymore after he put up 1,100-plus yards in the NFL. That's why I don't care as much about Chase Claypool's breakout age. Because he did it in the NFL. I have a guy that broke out of the NFL and he has some of the most impressive athletic measurables in the league. You could argue he is the singular size speed specimen in the NFL today. And he has the production on his resume. That's what gives him the asymmetrical upside. If you just have the athleticism without the production, then you're a fringe lottery ticket. But the moment you compare the size adjusted athleticism with the production, especially NFL production, that's when you turn the knob all the way up on the upside. Absolutely. And that, and that's where we, we, we flip the coin with a lot of our analytics. Like we're looking at the guys like, okay, what signals are we looking for in targeting in rookie drafts and in dynasty and late rounds on guys that have early breakout ages that haven't really popped yet? But once they show it at the NFL level, it's like, okay, you toss some of this stuff out the window because you have shown you're converting this size, speed, just monsterism into NFL production. And then it's like, okay, I don't care if your breakout age was later. You've shown you can bully NFL corners. Okay, That's you're right. that guy. That's why Chase Claypool's twice as valuable as Denzel Mims now. Yes. Because he's done it in the NFL and Denzel Mims did not. They were similar prospects in college. They were similar prospects at the Senior Bowl, you could argue that Denzel Mims played better at the Senior Bowl. But in the NFL, we have the evidence of Chase Claypool's upside. We don't have that with Denzel Mims. And we can't be surprised when he doesn't fire. No, we can't. And I mean, there are some things that were concerning a little bit on his profile coming out. And now some of the talks out of Jets camp, it's like, okay... You want to sit here and have a grain of salt with some of these things, but there are there is real concern for Denzel Mims. I mean, I I, I get it. Like, am I shopping him or getting rid of him in Dynasty? No, because nobody's going to give you anything. So you're just holding out hope right now that he does fire. If it's not this year, maybe next year and stuff. I mean, like, really, that's where you're at. But I mean, is the concern real for Mims? Absolutely. The one encouraging sign for Mims was the snap share because the offense wasn't sustaining drives in any way and the quarterback accuracy certainly wasn't there but the guy was commanding a 90 plus snap share for half a season so he was out there at x in a trusted position and that to me matters a hell of a lot more that they were trusting him in real nfl games last year than the snaps he's taking with the ones in june so I'm far from dismissing him. I was using Denzel Mims to illustrate Chase Claypool's value and mm -hmm. how why we have Chase Claypool ranked in that, you know, Cortland Sutton tier 
because you know you know uh, up there with uh let me just say uh you know ranked in that uh you know Brandon Ayuk, Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson, Cortland Sutton, Keenan Allen tier, right? Claypool all these wide receivers have cracked the 100 lifetime value rating on the player profiler dynasty rankings. That was not so much a criticism of Denzel Mims as it was to say, hey, this is more a way of illustrating how good Claypool could be. Absolutely. And I think he should be absolutely in that tier. Like him and T. Higgins should be talked about in the same tier. Guys that broke out in a massive way that maybe we were lower coming into their rookie seasons, but they showed us at the NFL level like – these guys can play, and we need to be higher on them. So the Jets are an interesting case. You have Elijah Moore competing with Jamison Crowder. We have them similarly ranked in best ball this year, but obviously we have, clearly Elijah Moore should be ranked higher in Dynasty. I think that Elijah Moore is currently the most talked about, the most widely discussed receiver in fantasy football. It's hard for me to imagine a scenario where he doesn't command snaps this year and at least start to break out if he doesn't fully break out in year one. I'm very excited for him. I think he should be rising. They have their quarterback, so they think. That's my one concern with him is what happens if Zach Wilson flames out and they're back in that Sam Darnold perpetual quarterback purgatory. But if I'm looking to, to, to go young in Dynasty... Putting Mims and, and Moore on the same dynasty roster seems to make sense to me. One of these guys is going to hit. One of them has to fire, right? Like, and, and command it. I mean, are we, we're, we're not believing that Corey Davis is going to be that guy this year, right? Like, that that's, I mean, I, I get he finally broke out, but, I mean, is it, even if he is the new Devontae Parker, like. I mean, it, it was the most tepid breakout. It was the most, for the breakout finder, you have to reach 200 fantasy points or 1,000 yards receiving. And he, I mean, it was just by the, the, the smallest margin that he, it's just, I don't know. Uh, it's very difficult for me to buy in. I, I really thought that he deserved to be a first round pick. I didn't necessarily agree with him being a top 10 pick. It's very difficult for me to put any wide receiver in the top 10 of the NFL draft, the NFL draft where you can take you know, franchise changing offensive linemen and edge rushers and quarterbacks Ew. Taking a wide receiver, especially a small school wide receiver in the top 10, it's not a good idea. But I did think he was the best wide receiver in that class. It was very disappointing to see him not fire. But you keep holding on to him and Mike Williams. They're actually incredibly similar. Like It just hit me. like They're in the same draft class, and one went to Western Michigan, one went to Clemson. So they had very different college experiences. But... They are now the quintessential outside clashers where you could see, okay, 10 touchdowns is in their range of outcomes, but they're never going to get much past 1,000 yards. Yeah, I mean, look, Mike Williams is a guy I'm actually really, really intrigued for this year. Yes, you have to. Can't you have to be? Yes. I mean, come on, Matt, we've seen him. We've seen him have these oddity seasons. I love coming all the way back around on a player. That's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I love coming all the way back around on a player. I didn't draft. I didn't touch him in rookie drafts. Wouldn't have touched him in rookie drafts. Had no interest for years. And then I circle back around when others have decided he's just a guy. And I'm like, well, actually. 
look, we've seen the guy have 10 touchdowns in a season. We've seen him go over 1,000 yards. We haven't seen him do it both in one season. Why not 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns? Let's go, Mike! Let's go! I'm here for it. I believe it. I, I, I'm, I'm in on Mike Williams this year. I think that we can see all of these things coalesce. And if it does happen, we haven't seen the Justin Herbert ceiling yet. We haven't seen it yet. He was a rookie. He's one of the best rookie seasons for an NFL quarterback ever. So now let's see what he does with a healthy Mike Williams. He was not healthy last year. And Keenan Allen on the other side. It's very exciting. I'm even excited for Josh Palmer because there's this glaring void on what will be an up-tempo, highly productive offense. Talking about, oh, Cornell Powell. Cornell Powell goes to Kansas City. Cornell Powell with Patrick Mahomes. I'm like... First of all, Cornell Powell wasn't as productive or as impressive a prospect as Josh Palmer was in college. And Palmer has the day two draft capital. Cornell Powell goes to fifth round. And there's actually a cleaner path, an easier path to be a starter in three receiver sets for Palmer than Powell. Come on now. Well, and, and this is what we're hoping. You're, you're saying, okay, Mike Williams breaks out in a monster way. He's a free agent. He goes and he signs elsewhere. And this just lays the path for Josh Palmer. Like, Mike Williams prices himself out of the Chargers checkbook. And then Josh Palmer steps in like a god for the next year. And then he's tied to Justin Herbert. He's the one-for-one the one replacement is, for yeah, Mike Williams at yeah. a discount. Yeah. This is what you do. You talk about stacking wide receivers and, and dynasty on the same teams. We talked about the more pricey picks, but can we say that Mike Williams and Josh Palmer is the discount version of this? Oh, wow. Wow, that's interesting. So at the very least, if you're implementing a productive struggle, you know Mike Williams likely gone next year. But the thing is, in a productive struggle team, you shouldn't be expecting to keep all your players and roll them all over into next year. You need to draft some receivers under the assumption that you're going to flip them in October. So if Mike Williams goes out and has a, has a couple of monster games to start the year, all those people that loved Mike Williams when he was at Clemson and maybe drafted him in their rookie drafts and they've since moved on, they're going to come back. It's just a couple games. You just give me a couple games and they'll be back knocking on the door. Oh, who's that? Who's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, Mike Williams, he's here. Yeah, yeah, he's here. Let me get him for you. Hold on. Yeah, oh, you want Mike Williams? Oh, okay, let's talk, right? So now you're flipping Mike Williams for picks. You can draft players in your productive struggle startup planning to keep for next year, like you're not trading Claypool, and then you can also draft players like a Mike Williams and a Josh Palmer, and you can see how it plays out knowing, hey, I'm open to trading, especially Mike Williams, because he's young enough. Like, you're doing productive struggle, you're going to really have to send that player through a keyhole if it's Adam Thielen and he's 31 years old. I mean, you'd have to pick mm -hmm. the exact right time and place, right? The right week, the right competitor in your league. I don't have the patience for that. But it's a lot easier if the guy's 25, 26. And there's multiple ways to diagnose this and to apply this, Matt. Like, if you want, we're talking about Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. If you wanted to cross apply it to other positions, we're talking about if you wanted to go Traquan Smith and Adam Trout, 
Chapman. You take one guy, you hold on to him at the tight end position. The other guy breaks out in a big way, and you say, bye-bye, Traquan. Ooh. I'd take all three. I'd go Marquez Calloway and Traquan yes. Smith and Adam Troutman. I want all three. I actually did a TikTok. It hasn't come out yet. It might have come out by the time this podcast drops. But I was at the Madame Tussauds, Tussauds Wax Museum in L.A., and they had Captain America there. And so we, we go into this room with all the superheroes, and I was like, oh, hold on, everybody. And like, I pushed my family aside, ran over to go see Adam Troutman, a.k.a. Captain America. <laughs> so hopefully soon you all will be able to enjoy my interview with the wax figure of Adam Troutman because you got to go to the Senior Bowl, man. It's a fun experience, and there are some players – like Adam Troutman, where it doesn't matter what the metrics are. When you're watching them, they are transcendent on the football field. I know that it was a weak tight end class outside Troutman. I get it. And Cole Komet wasn't there, understood. But Harrison Bryant was there. And Harrison Bryant didn't start flashing until the red zone drills, where every single drill it was like, oh, there's Adam Troutman again. And he had his, he had his jersey rolled up. You know, so the flack, the back flap of his shoulder pads. And it was just like, that's just a, that, that's a stud move. This is a guy who belongs. He's talking to the media like he belongs. He's commanding always first team reps. And he's making plays like he belongs. And like, who is this guy again? Oh, yeah, he's from Toledo. Oh, what do you do in college? Holy shit! Right? <laughs> he had how many touchdowns? In his final season, right? Okay, cool. And then you go, and you're like, oh, well, we know agility matters for tight ends because if they can move laterally in the middle of the field, it gives them a huge advantage. And then he goes out and posts like a 90-plus percentile agility score, and his athleticism lines up with Dallas Goddard. Turns out Dallas Goddard, once upon a time, was Dallas Goddard's this mythical figure from Senior Bowl's past where he only played in one practice before he got hurt. And in that one practice, everyone swears it was the best tight end practice of all time in the history of the Senior Bowl. So I'm like, listen, the small school tight end who went over 1,000 yards and scored a million touchdowns in college, similar athletes, similar reputations at the Senior Bowl, and why wouldn't Adam Troutman actually outproduce Dallas Goddard in the same number of games at the similar points in their career, you can't tell me that when Adam Troutman gets to Dallas Goddard's age, there's a chance he has twice as many receiving yards as Goddard. Well, and then and Adam Troutman's doing things in his rookie season. We're talking about previous comparisons. I mean, he's doing the things that NFL coaches care about. He's pulling out the vibranium shield, and he's blocking on running snaps and run blocking like amazing. He's out there just bulldozing guys, which we don't care about in fantasy, but NFL coaches care about, and that keeps him on the field doing what we want, and that's running routes. And they were talking about that at the Senior Bowl. That was the fun thing. It was like, hey, th there's blocking drills. Look what look what Troutman's doing. Troutman just pancakes someone. He just pancakes some edge rusher. And it's like, this guy is an alpha at the tight end position. And it's just exciting. And it's just like, what are you waiting for? It's like, oh, well, Adam Troutman feels a lot like uh, – you know, uh, hyped, overhyped tight ends that we've seen that we see each and every year, right? Uh, like uh, what's a what's it like like Hayden Hurst? And it's like, bro, 
These guys aren't comparable at all. Hayden Hurst was 75 years old when he came into the league, not nearly the athlete, not nearly as productive, and didn't nearly have that level of gravitas as a prospect. Fuck out of here. You can't just think about a guy in your mind and say, oh, this guy seems similar to this other guy in my mind, so I'm going to compare him. I'm going to compare the two players on Twitter. No, no, you, this is why Player Profiler exists! So you can go and actually look at the guy side by side and go, okay, there's no comparison. If you want to compare Adam Troutman to someone, you compare him to Dallas Goddard. And that's the end. That's it. It's infuriating. Fade Adam Troutman. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) What are you talking about? You're killing people. Fade Adam Troutman. It couldn't be me. What are you doing? I just think it's hilarious. It's like, let's take the two things that don't even, even if we squint as hard as we possibly can, that don't look anything remotely similar and compare them. It's like, what what parallels are you drawing here? Oh, man. I, Baltimore wishes they could have got Adam Troutman in the first round when they whiffed Ooh. and took Aiden Hurst. Oh, they so wish they could go back in time. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it because I saw all the scouts huddled around Troutman at the senior bowl. So I'm thinking this guy could, you know, he's a dark horse to slip into the first round like Hayden Hurst did, right? Remember? No one expected that. And then he falls out of the second round. And I'm like, okay, he's going to be one of the first players taken in the third round. And then he falls to the end of the third round. I was like, I don't care what these NFL teams are looking at. They're wrong. And the Saints just got an incredible bargain they must feel so fortunate to have gotten him so late, especially after Chicago took Komet. Come on. Well, and then you see smart franchises do what smart franchises do, and they, they come with all the money bags, and they're trading all this equity to move up, and they're like, oh, he fell into our laps. We're going to go get him. I mean, that's what you do. You, you make this move in the NFL draft, and you look for this signal from NFL teams, just like we do in Dynasty Startups. You move around the draft, and you say, Oh, the end of the tier. I'm going to get my guy. I need him. No, that's it. That's it. That's it. You know, what we're going to do at Player Profiler is we're going to start creating some GM stats. We're going to get to show you their trade-up, trade-down percentage. We're going to show you their draft equity, gain-loss. We're going to start creating GM metrics. And you want to have a positive trade down to trade up ratio like you want to be trading down more than you're trading up but the times you want to trade up is not in the first round because that's almost always a sucker move to trade up in the first round it's those maneuvers to trade up to the end of the second round to get a dk metcalf to trade up to get into the end of the third round to get an adam thielen when a clear value is slipping where a guy that should be in a completely other tier he could have gone around earlier is still there and the clock is ticking, that's when you execute a targeted trade-up. Absolutely. That's the move. I mean, we see in the NFL circles, that's the move we should always be making in Dynasty and why I love Dynasty startups that have where you have rookie picks for next year included in the equity that you could use. It's like, I don't care about my 2022 picks right now in this startup. What I care about is going after players that are young, I believe in, or are falling outside of where I value them. Like if Chase Claypool's falling, or other players that I think that like we're going to discuss later. If Javante Williams is falling in drafts, so people are like, hmm, I'm so worried about Melvin Gordon. Then I'm like, I'm not. And then you trade up to get him aggressively. Tight end premium. I'm trading up for Hunter Long. 
I'm in the third round. No more running backs I'm interested in. Uh, Cornell Powell's there. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I would love, listen, all respect to Cornell Powell and his family, but I wasn't drafting Deion Kane either. So I'm not going for But there's Hunter Long, right? That's a guy that can get down the seam. This was a, a productive player on an anemic offense. It's the same thing with Josh Palmer. I mean, he is the Josh Palmer of tight ends where didn't have the exceptional counting stats to get you excited on looking at his college resume. But if you look at him in context, he had a 69th percentile college dominator and he's athletic and he's best comparable to Jason Witten. One of the only tight ends best comparable to Jason Witten that we have. And Mike Gusecki may not be in Miami forever. He might start outplaying Gusecki as early as third week of preseason. We'll see, right? He is a polished two-way tight end. And if you can get that guy in tight end premium in the third round, I give you permission to do a targeted trade-up. I love the fact that you brought up Hunter Long. Cody and I talked about him weeks, months ago. Oh, Cody loves him. Love him. I had to get Cody on the podcast to talk about Hunter Long, and the signal was there from the Dolphins. You talk about Gusecki leaving. Hunter Long is that two-way tight end. He's the guy that could be and, – and, and look, we've talked about this in previous draft classes. Like when Hayden Hurst is going high, and they were seeing the Baltimore Ravens are stealing Mark Andrews later. Dude, isn't he Mark Andrews? He so reminds me of Mark Andrews. Yes, yes. See, if you put a guy like Hunter Long in an Oklahoma offense, he's going to put up 1,000 yards. That's the difference. We may not even know who Mark Andrews is if he went to Boston College. And you look at Hunter Long. Like, if you head over to Player Profiler and you look at Hunter Long and you put him side-by-side with Mark Andrews, look at these athletic measurables. Similar agility scores, a lot of parallels here. And the guy was productive all the way through college. Like, last two years, amongst all tight ends with 25 or more targets, 20th and 4th, 4th in yards per route rung. And he's falling to the third. Heck, if you're in some dynasties, like you you were able to get him in the fourth round in your rookie drafts, that is stealing. It's insane. Yeah, because you know what happens. As soon as any tight end in a tight end premium scenario is in any way productive, he instantly becomes worth a second round pick. Instantly. He just needs to have a couple good games. And you can get a second round pick for him in tight end premium leagues because the tight end thirst is there in tight end premium because there's so few tight ends that are doing a goddamn thing. Look at how Mark Andrews just skyrocketed up, especially in tight end premium leagues. You couldn't get him last year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and we're talking about we keep going back to this, Matt, but like but like stacking these players in the same teams. Like you, if you can't get rid of Mike Gusecki right now, draft Hunter Long. Trade Gusecki in season if he flashes. He has a big game, and bye-bye. He's gone. And now you profit with Hunter Long on your team or your squad. Or like you're talking about, in tight end premium, you flip him. These are the moves that you make in Dynasty year after year, especially at the tight end position. Miami is an easy one where you can envision yourself drafting two players. What about Tua? Tua is very polarizing right now. I went back and watched that national championship game where he came in in the second half in relief of Jalen Hurts, and it was just a master's class in quarterback play. And he had to scramble a lot in that game. He was under constant duress. That's the one thing that you may not recall from that game because he did have a clean pocket when he delivered that 
that touchdown strike, I believe it was to Devontae Smith. Was that Devontae Smith? I don't remember. I believe so. So, but he was under constant duress. And this guy is a savvy scrambler. I'm not saying he's Russell Wilson, but he can move. He can move around in the pocket and he can rush for first downs. I think he has that Ryan Tannehill level rushing ability. And now you've upgraded his weapons more than any other quarterback in the league. And I remember, see, I had this memory where I remember I can think and, and close my eyes and say, wait, wasn't there this thing called Tank for Tua before Joe Burrow and before <laughs> Justin Herbert? There was Tank for Tua. And his ball placement last year was top five, even in a small sample. I'm very hopeful because I believe that supporting casts are undervalued. I think if you had to put if, – if, if I had a, a, a portfolio – if I had a, you know, a quiver, right, and you had to look through the arrows in my quiver that I use in Dynasty, the arrow I use most often and the uh, sort of bit of analysis that I fall back on most often to mine value – is that there is supporting cast the the effect of a supporting cast is not a pre, is not fully appreciated by fantasy footballers. They look at a singular season or even a singular game and they judge that quarterback in a vacuum. Whereas I'm looking at Jakeem Grant and I'm looking at Isaiah Ford and I'm looking at an offensive line and I'm looking at a, a disinterested Devontae Parker and an average offensive line, and I'm thinking that there's no one on this team that's helping him. There's no one on this team that's 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 it's helping him to the next level. I saw this with Jalen Hurts last year, where they were in comeback mode and they had to score a touchdown to win, and he's locked in on Dallas Goddard because no one else can help him. And if you're locked in on Dallas Goddard or you're locked in on Mike Gesicki, hoping that they're going to make the play for you at the NFL level. That's not winning football. If your first read is the tight end, you're already fucked, Derek. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, it's a wheels up. I love Tua this year. You do? And I love the fact, yes. Oh, good, good, good. I love him. He's a massive value. Whether you're talking about super flex, one quarterback, he's going outside the top 120, 130 players in one quarterback startups. Yeah. And that's insanity to me. Like, yeah. you talked about all the skill upgrades. They got him guys that can stretch the field, and Tua's numbers were not pretty. They weren't beautiful last year, but if you parse through all of them, he was 10th in pressure completion percentage, and it, nobody helped him, just like you talked about. Yeah. 63rd in yards after catch per per target from his wide receivers. Mac Hollins was out there running routes. Fitman like crazy. Yeah, they converted Lynn Bowden from running back. I mean, come on, man. Come on, man. This is a revolution. No one had a bigger weaponry upgrade than Tua. Not even close. Not even close. Just look at the splits for Deshaun Watson with and without Will Fuller. That's all I did. Let's look at. Just look at that. Just, 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 just one metric. Deshaun Watson stats with Will Fuller. Deshaun Watson stats without Will Fuller. And now he has two Will Fullers in Miami. And now you have another guy that could stretch the seam like Hunter Long? And look, we're talking about projecting this stuff out. I mean, Will Fuller's on a one-year deal. Devontae Parker's getting older. You're talking about maybe next year we have Jalen Waddle and Hunter Long stepping in as the top two targets possibly for Miami? 
But who else, you don't know who else they're going to draft. You know who else they're going to sign, right? They're now in this positive feedback loop where they can keep rolling over picks, they can keep rolling over cap space, and they can keep bolstering and bolstering and bolstering every year. This is why they're going to be a perpetual playoff team, and they're going to continue to add weapons because you also know that the front office focuses on the right details. So if they're drafting Hunter Long in the late third round, this is also the type of front office that could unearth the next Tyler Johnson in the fifth round. Absolutely, and that's why you got to be taking your shots on this offense. I mean, look, they they, they, they got Hunter Long. They went for Jalen Waddell. Tua is getting massive upgrades. I mean, it's really wheels up. And then they addressed the, the offensive line further this year after having bookend t- tackle picks in the previous year. And what do they, what do they have, Matt? Like, Two to three first round picks. How many they got let next year? Dude, they, it's just you, you never know. <laughs> they gonna, it's gonna be. It's it's very exciting for anyone that's a Miami Dolphins fan. I mean, congratulations! It, it's happening. It, just enjoy the ride. It's a great time to be alive. They do have to get past the Buffalo Bills. That's going to be very difficult. The Buffalo Bills are also stacked. They're one of the best front offices. So so now it's it's funny. It's like we could be looking a year from now at the New England Patriots and as the worst front office in the AFC East because the Jets have been making some savvy moves. It's concerning for Denzel Mims if they're bringing back and restructuring Jamison Crowder. It's like, wait, if you trusted Denzel Mims, you wouldn't have done that. The drafting of Elijah Moore was smart. I mean, everything except passing on Trey Lance and, and drafting Zach Wilson has been savvy. So structurally, strategically, they're making a lot of progress in New York. So that's very exciting. So be prepared for a world where the New England Patriots are the worst front office in the AFC East. I think it's possible. And I mean, they went out there and they opened the checkbook for who? Kendrick Born and then the tight ends and all these crazy moves. Normally, that would be mocked, right? If that were the Jets doing that mm-hmm. or that were the Raiders doing that, it would be widely mocked. But when Belichick does it, it's like, ooh, what are we missing? Ooh, what's Belichick got up his sleeve? <laughs> well, what does Belichick know about Kendrick Bourne that we don't know? Guess what? Nothing! Nothing! <laughs> this is this has not ever been, ever been elite front office. Right? This is a team that's been winning Super Bowls in spite of the worst second-round picks of the last decade. And now you have a team that, like, what, they, they went and got Mac Jones. and what, I mean, there's a lot of division out there in dynasty circles. What, what, what is Mac Jones? What's Mac Jones going to be? Is he, a, a, I mean, even in super flex leagues, is he a value? Is he a guy with a capped ceiling? I'm buying. I'm buying Mac Jones. I'm absolutely buying Mac yep. Jones because I buy college efficiency. This is why I'm in on Mac Jones and I'm not in on Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson didn't have a good game against a good college defense. I mean, just show me one. Just show me a good game against a good defense. Is that so hard? Mac Jones, that's all he does. Right? That, that's his job in college, right? <laughs> he was the specialist having good games against good defenses. So if you're going to be upper percentile in QBR and yards per attempt, even with some of the greatest wide receivers we've seen in a particular unit, whether it be last year with Judy and Smith and Ruggs, this year with Waddle and Smith and others that are going to be in the NFL in future years, 
I think Mac Jones is has the skills and he's wired right. So it, it just it I'll I'll never know, and it's one of my goals to figure out how Zach Wilson became the second overall pick. Not just over Trey Lance, who has a Mahomesian ceiling. Now we're watching these clips of Trey Lance in practice and in camp, and he's doing things on the run that we've only seen a couple quarterbacks ever do. So already the Jets are looking pretty fucking stupid because that's the guy that can help you actually go out and win a Super Bowl. Because we've seen if you can put the right pieces around a good but not great quarterback, Joe Flacco can win a Super Bowl, right? So that's not where you should be investing. You shouldn't be investing in a capped ceiling quarterback. The The instances where teams that won the— the only way for a team to win a Super Bowl without all the pieces in place is if the quarterback is just playing out of his mind. So we've seen that happen on a few occasions. That can happen. But— it's not a quarterback with a Zach Wilson skill set that's going to be the ultimate difference maker. We could be seeing a season in the future where Trey Lance puts that team on his back. It's not possible. Like, it's just not, you, we've never seen a quarterback with the Zach Wilson physique and resume and skill set put a team on his back. So, with the 102, you can't do that. So forget Trey Lance versus Zach Wilson. That was clearly a, just a total debacle of a pick. Why Wilson over Mac Jones is a better question. I, I'm still scratching my head over why the Jets went Wilson over Mac Jones over Justin Fields. I, I don't understand it. It still doesn't make any sense to me because Mac Jones had the ability to be a distributor. And then we heard all of these rumors about like, He's a fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense. And yes, if you look at his numbers in college, he was great on play action. He has enough pocket movement to be able to do the things that you need and play the distributor role in that offense. With some sneaky rushing ability. Yes, he does. He does. I think that he's got the mobility to sit here and take advantage of some of these things. And so I, I, I honestly don't understand what the Jets were doing. I, I think that they are making some smart moves. But I, at this juncture... I don't count Zach Wilson as being one of them. And we talked about tight end premium and drafting multiple players at the same position. And in tight end premium, I don't hate going Janu and Hunter Henry and just seeing what happens. Because mm-hmm. Hunter Henry has the more impressive NFL resume. He's been more productive. But Janu Smith has the more impressive overall profile. If you zoom all the way out and you start to include college stats and athleticism and versatility, Jonu Smith is incredibly impressive. So I say you take the discount on both guys, and especially if you're going to go with productive struggle, just take the discount on both guys and go Jonu and Hunter Henry, and you could flip one of them and just see how it plays out because you're getting two high-quality players at a discount in an offense that's in transition, and it could be that one of them emerges as the go-to tight end with a fully developed and broken-out Mac Jones in 2022. I don't hate that. If I have to draft Patriots, I think I might draft those tight ends, especially in tight end premium. 
I, I like that call, especially, I mean, we hear John is dealing with some hamstring issues. We've seen some players have those. They linger into the season. So John who misses two, three different games. You decided, okay, I'm going to hold John who, or now I get to start definitively Hunter Henry for a few weeks. And now he's going to ascend. And whether you want to hold John who flip Hunter Henry, there's a lot of different ways to dice that up. And I love that move. Hunter Henry was viewed as this top five tight end in dynasty for at least a couple of years. And then he, he disappoints last year, but there's this assumption that he's now going to be the one B to John U. Smith. I don't, I don't, <laughs> it was like with Mike Williams, right? Like I thought, I thought you all loved him, right? I was never a big Hunter Henry guy, but now I'm like, okay, now he's in the discount bin. Now he's a dented can. Now I'll draft him. Well, Matt, you're talking about being old enough to remember I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Hunter Henry broke out with Antonio Gates still there. And there was a lot of talk of, oh, is he the next Gronk and what his career arc looks like? Yes. And now he's with New England? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, <sighs> yeah, he's just, he's going to be Jonu Smith's caddy, right? It's like, <laughs> wait, what? I don't, when did this happen? This is just the very, the fickle fantasy gamer. It's just so funny, man. In the AFC East, we haven't talked about the Bills, who are the best team. Who's intriguing for Dynasty on the Bills for you? So right now, considering all the different headlines out there in the ether, I, I, I was in on Gabriel Davis walking into this season. I'm still there. I think that his skill set for Buffalo, if anybody misses time, I mean, he's flanked by Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders, both of them 32 years old plus. And Gabriel Davis flashed in college. Flashed in the NFL like we're talking about, and now we need to readjust. He played multiple roles. He had more deep targets last year than even Stefan Diggs. Did he really? He did. He was their deep weapon, and he even played out of the slot when Cole Beasley was banged up. Huh. So could we have a Gabriel Davis full breakout in year two? I'm not willing to write it off in an offense that's going to be top five in passing rate this year. Well, you, you want players that get downfield and players that are used in the red zone. Those are the, some of the key metrics you're looking at on the opportunity side of the ledger at wide receiver. Well, the red zone usage was incredibly high, especially in comparison to the snap share. So you look at targets per snap in the red zone. Gabriel Davis was among the NFL leaders and he was top 10 in average target distance. 15.4 average target depth, which is top 10 in the league. So he is a stay away in best ball because you can't assume injuries. And he is technically the number four, but he's, he's being drafted as if he's the number two or three. So whenever you see that phenomenon happening, that's an easy fade in a seasonal league scenario where the young explosive playmaker is getting pushed up in best ball at the expense of a Cole Beasley who ends up becoming a value. But in Dynasty, especially in this scenario that we're laying out where you're saying, my goal in this startup is to win in 2022. One of those young receivers I was targeting when implementing that strategy was Gabriel Davis specifically for this reason, looking at a 32-year-old Cole Beasley and a 33-year-old Emmanuel Sanders ahead of him. And he, if he ascends this year, then, I mean, it's Yahtzee. And if, if he right. goes into 2022, if he has even a, a similarly productive upcoming season in 2021, 
both of those receivers go bye-bye and he he flashes for a second year when he's called upon. I mean, look, the, the beacon is still there. The light is still on for him to ascend in 2022. Oh, that's the thing, right? It's very risk-free that even if he doesn't fire, oh, well, you can't envision a scenario where his dynasty stock just collapses this year. No, it's it's not going to be the black hole. It's not going to be the dying star. It, it, he's going late enough, and you consider and say, okay, does it still shimmer? Does it? Do we get enough light to keep us warm through the next season? It's possible, absolutely. I got to tell you, I'm surprised that Joe Mixon's seasonal ADP on Underdog Fantasy. Shout out to Underdog Fantasy, UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code Underworld. Get on there and start drafting and understand where the value pockets are for seasonal leagues. Best ball is the perfect place, the perfect training ground to dominate your seasonal leagues. If you're drafting on underdog in May, June, July, when August comes around, that those ADPs and those value pockets, that's just muscle memory at that point. Joe Mixon is going at pick 15. I did not see that coming. After what happened last year, Knowing the unforgiving nature of so many fantasy gamers, I was certain that Mixon would be a third-round pick, and I am wrong. I was, Fantasy gamers getting better every year, and this is impressive. His ADP is impressive. I look at that ADP, and I just think, good job, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or am I wrong? I, I get it. I, I like Joe Mixon to an extent this year. I, I think that I, I'm not I, – I get the why his ADP is currently going up and up and up. Well, the value squeezed out. I'm not drafting him anymore. Oh, yeah. No, no. I'm out uh, now. But I'm, like, but I'm not drafting him, but, I, but I'm proud. I'm proud to not draft him. <laughs> you get it? Yeah. I mean, look, it's like, do we get there? It's like what you saw last year when Cam Akers got into the third round. It's like, we did it. We did it. Yeah. We made it. We've arrived. Yes, as soon as Cam Akers opened up in the first round on the underdog ADP, I just felt good. I felt warm inside. I'm like, okay, we have people focused on the right details here. We're moving in the right direction. Congratulations, everybody. Give yourselves a hand. Woo! We're doing great. We're doing great. It is. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, the work that has to be done, the, the 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 shoveling and the lifting and the manual labor that has to be done in these fantasy drafts to mine value is staggering. Compared to five years ago, it's so much more difficult. It's hard, and especially, I mean, that's why you start drafting early because the closer we get to the season, it gets tough. We start talking about all these players, and those ADPs get sharper and sharper. Everything gets corrected. I remember last year, Will Fuller's ADP was a round and a half too late, and it got corrected like in April. And it was just like, you know, oh, remember when Will Fuller was going in the eighth round? Oh, yeah, I remember, bo- <laughs> remember back in those days? Yeah, now he's a mid-sixth rounder where he belongs. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's fantasy for you. You got to get up early, man. You got to get up early. Is there anyone in Cleveland that you're drafting? Because that's a team I have a hard time getting excited about. For me, it's it's I, I'm willing to select Nick Chubb where he's going. Like if he falls into the second round, I think the answer is to go Nick Chubb, and then it's bye bye to everybody else. 
Um, I, because I think the Browns are going to field a ridiculous. So we talk about front offices making smart moves. Their their defense is going to be outstanding this year. They they add Clowney to take care of the run defense, and now I understand everybody's like, oh, the sacks. That's not why you add Clowney. He's shoring up the run defense. They got Greg Newsom in the slot, Troy Hill on the outside, Greedy Williams coming back, Denzel Ward. The list goes on and on. They asked Josh Johnson to the outside. Grant Delpit's coming back to the back end. It's insanity. And all these positive game scripts, I mean, Nick Chubb could eat this year. So I think he's a wonderful pick where he's going right now in underdog. Like, he's one of the safest picks you can get in the first two rounds. But Kareem Hunt's being overdrafted, right? You can't draft Kareem Hunt in the fifth round, especially when you have the the clear arbitrage in Tony Pollard. So if you look at where Tony Pollard in a similar role on a much better offense with a much worse defense. So the reason why you want Tony Pollard at ADP going at 105 on underdog versus Kareem Hunt going at pick 59 on underdog is because of the respective defenses that Cleveland defense is the reason why we're not excited about Baker Mayfield. We're not excited about Jarvis Landry and we're not excited about Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt is a satellite back who, if something happens to Nick Chubb, yes, it's wheels up, but the wheels are even more up if something happens to Ezekiel Elliott. So that's not an argument. If you want a player that's going to play the role of Kareem Hunt, in a 17-game season where they are going to have to wind down Nick Chubb's per-game usage to extend him out 17 games, same is true for Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, which is all the more reason to go Tony Pollard. I just I can't understand those pushing the button on Kareem Hunt knowing who they can get in a few rounds. Same guy, same situation, and with a guy like Tony Pollard, even more upside. I don't understand it. I, I My exposure to Kareem Hunt is pretty much nil right now because I don't understand the ADP. I mean, even when we saw him last year's – what happened last year was basically the perfect scenario. That's what everybody that drafted Kareem Hunt wanted. They were saying, okay, Nick Chubb misses time, and Kareem Hunt just walks in and he's an RB1, and mm. Kareem Hunt did mm. nothing with the volume. Mm. I mean, that was what you wanted. And now we're buying back in again? We lost some big money on Kareem Hunt in DFS. We pounded him week eight against Las Vegas. He goes for 9.3 points. Again, the offense was stagnated. The weather was horrific. But it was unfortunate that in the games where he was teed up to smash, he did not. And I remember that. And you have to wonder how much of our perception of Kareem Hunt is driven by Kansas City Kareem Hunt, that they, even though it's been years since he played in Kansas City, that, that that endures, that perception endures, where you put Tony Pollard on Kansas City, he's going to be a top five running back, just like Kareem Hunt would be, and maybe even better. Maybe Kareem Hunt was more like a Miles Gaskin, whereas you put a Miles Gaskin in that Kansas City offense with Patrick Mahomes and a top five offensive line, He's going to do Kareem Hunt-level things, right? But you go make him the 1B on the Browns offense, well, that's what you're going to get. I know that the film guys love to use Kareem Hunt to dunk on the analytics guys, but it may be that we may get the last laugh on Kareem Hunt. I just don't understand why his ADP. Like, I mean, you're talking about you're searching for upside. Why draft Kareem Hunt at that spot? 
when you can get somebody like Tony Pollard that's got fresh legs, he's more explosive, better offense, better pace, the volume is going to be better in all different aspects. Like, how are people drafting Kareem Hunt at that spot? And yes, I mean, we didn't see the effectiveness last year. So why are we going to see it? Now is another year down the the career arc of Kareem Hunt. And we think that that, that the Kansas City effectiveness with light – do we think that the, like, the light boxes are coming back for Kareem Hunt and company? I don't know that that's going to happen in Cleveland. In Indianapolis, I – so I had these two drafts that happening in parallel. Simultaneously drafting a win-now dynasty team and a win-tomorrow dynasty team. And interestingly, there was one player that overlapped, and that was Naheem Hines, because it's a best ball format. So trying this new dynasty format where it's best ball during the regular season, you can still make pickups, so it's not draft master. You can still work the waiver wire. Everything's the same as a traditional dynasty league, except you don't set your lineup during the regular season. And that means satellite backs are more valuable because they're difficult to project week to week. But when teams end up in comeback mode, those satellite backs end up going for 20 plus fantasy points. You just don't know when it's going to happen. Tariq Cohen, Naheem Hines are much better in best ball formats than they are traditional formats. So in this format, whether I wanted to win now or I wanted to when a year from now, Naheem Hines is a value. And this is coming from someone who is deeply invested emotionally and in actual dynasty leagues in Jonathan Taylor. I think he's a fantastic target. I mean, Naheem Hines is like, we know that he's going to run routes. Even last year, Jonathan Taylor's passing game, his routes per dropback went up last year. And Naheem Hines wasn't coming off the field. They just, they shifted his role. All they did was move him outside, move him into the slot. And at this point, if we think that T.Y. Hilton is dust, then Naheem Hines, considering get more snaps on the outside with Pittman, and even if Paris Campbell's healthy. It's where he's lining up. I mean, he's lining up at wide receiver. And Josh Larkey says, hey, you know Naheem Hines was number three in running back targets last year. I was like, shut the fuck up. He was (laughs) not. No, he wasn't. But then you start thinking, oh, wait, Uh, Eckler missed a bunch of games. McCaffrey missed most of the season. Barkley missed the whole season. You start doing process of elimination. That's how Neem Hines finished number three in running back targets. And even more importantly, because targets are so much more important than carries, top 20 in weighted opportunities. And Jonathan Taylor didn't miss games. He missed one game last year. Yep, he had one game on the COVID list. Past that, he was he was out there. And yeah. both of these guys could have have good roles in this Colts offense this year. I'm not worried about Marlon Mack stealing snaps. I don't know what Marlon Mack is either. So I also was targeting Marlon Mack in this. Where so, we, so we talk about scenarios where you're drafting two players at the same position, especially when you're opting to rebuild initially and you're opting for productive struggle. Well, Marlon Mack is a target because we just don't know the health of the Achilles. That's all it is. That's just an admission that we don't know the health of the Achilles. This is still a 25-year-old running back who, before the Achilles injury, was explosive and was able to succeed in all phases. And is he on a one-year deal? I think he's on a one-year deal. One year. Yep. So he's not coming back next year. He's proving it. This is like the Juju Smith-Schuster of running backs. Or he's just saying, bring me back. This is a comfortable situation for me. I know I'm not going to be a workhorse, but I get to prove to the league that I'm still explosive. 
I just need to break off a couple runs and I can go get a contract somewhere else next year. So you get a guy like that at the end of a startup and you know you're not going to try to win this year. You never know, man. He proves himself and he could get a, a Melvin Gordon level, you know, $10 million two-year deal next year. He could, and he couldn't wind up in one of these smart franchises we're talking about. I mean, is it absolutely insane that he could wind up in, I mean, uh, talking about smart teams here that don't invest a ton in their backfield. Even if he doesn't get the Melvin Gordon contract, could he li- wind up with a two-year deal in Miami if he proves, proves himself healthy? Why it could not? happen. And then he, and then we're talking about Marlon Max back from the dead. Maybe maybe Tampa wants to bring him in next year. Yeah. Right? Because he, he, that's where he's from. And now that the platelet-rich plasma treatment is widely available in the United States, you've noticed, especially with Achilles injuries, players are coming back faster and more explosive than they used to. Because when you have dense muscle tissue, surgery simply creates scar tissue and limits explosiveness. But if you can avoid surgery and inject that tear with stem cells and hormones and platelet-rich plasma, you can heal it naturally without an invasive surgery that creates scar tissue, which is what limits the explosiveness. So you're seeing much better results from players recovering from especially Achilles, but also shoulder injuries. You're seeing this with pitchers in the in the Major League Baseball. They're coming back much better than they used to from these torn labrums. So anytime you have a thick muscle tissue injury, oftentimes they're going and opting for the non-invasive procedures. So the cliche sports takes about, oh, player, player X gets the Achilles, he's fucked. Well, that's obsolete, right? I'd rather come back from an Achilles at this point than a high ankle sprain because these high ankle sprains are devastating to these players. They don't come, they're, they're not the same, the same season. And they actually increase the probability of injuries the following season, because that is actually you're with it, with a high ankle sprain, you're actually dealing with micro fractures in the joint. So it's, it, it, it's it, it, in many ways, the that has more long-term ramifications than a muscle tear that you can then just inject the shit out of it with stem cells and hormones. Well, you're seeing enough players, like you're talking about, just debunking all this. We're not seeing like the Deontay Foreman coffin nails anymore. You're seeing Emmanuel Sanders come back. Jimmy Graham's added years onto his career, and we're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, how do you think Jimmy Graham's doing it? You think Jimmy Graham's doing it with fucking vitamins? <laughs> huh? You think that's what he's doing? How do you think that's possible? He went to school in Miami. You don't think they have uh, doctors in Miami that have these treatments and more? It's great because you're seeing these guys come back, and it's not like and, – and, and it's not these travesty injuries. And then we're getting discounts on some of these players that people are like, okay, well, no, they're done. Marlon Mack's done. Achilles done. Achilles done. Achilles done. Achilles done. Achilles done. Hey, 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 buddy. Hey, hey, hey. I'm waving at you. Hey, wait, hey, wake the fuck up. Okay? Get off your talk track with the Achilles. And there's new modern medical procedures that are changing the game. And if you understand those things, you can get these micro edges in Dynasty where 
you're not going to outdraft your competition in rounds one through five. We're all going to get great players, but in rounds six through 25, that's when you can start to stack up the micro edges. Absolutely. It's, it's got to be the move. Now, for the record, is there anyone in Houston that you're excited about? Certainly, it's an interesting value proposition for the Houston players if miraculously, like Tyreek Hill, the improbable reinstatement happens, the an, an improbable full season is played by the player who is shrouded in uncertainty and scandal. So it, I've seen it happen. Like with Tyreek Hill, we thought he was going to miss the whole season. He played the whole season. So stranger things have happened. So there's an interesting gamble that you can do betting on Houston players some asymmetrical outcomes there based on Deshaun Watson. But if Deshaun Watson misses the season, you're not going to want David Johnson first and foremost. You might say, oh, that, that hurts Brandon Cooks. No, 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 no. You know, is that, Brandon Cooks is going to be the first read, so he's still going to get targets. It, it's devastating for David Johnson because the offense won't move. And if the offense isn't moving, he can't score fantasy points. But if you look longer, if you, you, you zoom out, you have a wider lens. Anyone there for dynasty purposes? The, the low-hanging fruit right here is Nico Collins. Uh, him being, and he could walk into a, a healthy target share in year one, but the guy I really, really want to mention, and he's the guy that if if everything just goes sideways, quarterback play, uh, the defense is still terrible, this is still going to be a team because they kept their OC in Tim Kelly who's going to be passing the ball. Even if, and I understand Tyrod if he gets snaps. The guy I want to talk about who walk, could walk into an Evan Ingram type of rookie season who fell in the NFL draft is Brevin Jordan, who is free in all of Dynasty mm. right now. Mm. He's, he's Nobody mm. wants Brevin Jordan. Talented mm. player. Athletic upside. I know he, he disappointed a little bit. Very young. I mean, I know he was the youngest tight end in the class. And he's got upside, Matt. Like, if, if there's a guy that we're talking about that needs to be free in Dynasty because nobody wants to get, get him because... He dropped in the NFL draft. It, the, the Houston Texans roster stink is real. But if Brandon Cooks goes down, who's catching passers there? Like, I, I know everybody wants to talk about Nico Collins, but Nico Collins, as athletic as he is, still didn't do a ton at Michigan. I understand, that, like, yes, that collegiate situation was bad, but Brevin Jordan is a guy that we did see was very, very productive, and he's a receiver. He could flash in year one, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, look at Brevin Jordan. Look at him go. Why not? I was disappointed with the athleticism, but it wasn't like he was a sub-athlete. He just wasn't as fast as we would have liked, right? He has decent speed, decent burst. As a move tight end, that's fine, right? That's fine. Remember, Jordan Reed was not this exceptional athlete. He just had the route running skills and the hands and he had that je ne sais quoi factor after the catch where he just knew how to be in the right place at the right time as a football player. And that's what you see a lot with these move tight ends. It's, it's an interesting thing where you would think in your head, if you're thinking logically, right, that, well, Zach Ertz in his role would have to be more athletic than Dallas Goddard in his role because Dallas Goddard is in line and he needs to be big and and that's the priority where if you're going to win in the slot you've got to be incredibly athletic and as it turns out that's not the case 
time and time again, Gronkowski more athletic than Aaron Hernandez. Goddard, actually a much more impressive size-adjusted athlete than Zach Ertz. These move tight ends can thrive even if they're not super athletes because they come to the party with receiving skills. And if you're 245 and you have the route running chops and hands of a wide receiver, you have an advantage, a built-in advantage. And he's checking the boxes. 85th percentile college dominator. 99th percent, 99th percentile breakout age. We're talking about th- tossing the darts late. When I say a guy has a je ne sais quoi factor that he just under- he just intuitively understands how to get leverage on defenders, how to find the soft spots in the zone, he clearly has that. The breakout age shows you, okay, even at a very early age, he had a feel for football. And this is what we target, especially these later rounds, the guys that if they're going to hit – and we look for these factors, these signals, these quiet things that if – and we talk about front offices that are smart. We can't say that the Houston Texans front office is smart in the sense that – or other NFL teams. Brevin Jordan falls in the NFL draft. Other teams can get it wrong. This can happen. Brevin Jordan could be a steal where he went in the NFL draft considering all the different signals and things we're looking at all the way back to college. He was a four-star prospect. He only played in – at most nine games in college. So he's always missing games with these, you know, ticky tack injuries. And this is what happens. Players like a Brevin Jordan get a reputation for being soft, being the, you know, availability is the number one trait that I look for. Availability. <laughs> the number one thing I look for is availability. If you're not available, then you have no value to me. <laughs> availability. Right, and it's like, let's see, yeah, he he plays a violent sport, and he missed a couple games during these seasons. With because he never played ten or more games, he he never put up the eight hundred plus yard season that would get your attention. Big deal, absolutely. But then you look at all the deeper metrics, and he is checking tons of boxes. I I have to admit, man, I admit it. Like I overlooked him. Like, I'm guilty. I've overlooked him because I just view Houston as this place where maybe I could get a value on maybe Nico Collins in the third round of rookie drafts if he's there. I I have to admit it, right? I sometimes fixate on a single player, especially at tight end, like a Hunter Long, and sort of spaced on Brevin Jordan. I'll have to say, I mean, look, my Hunter Long goggles just have I me mean, firmly fixated on the tight end position. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and looking at all I'm these guilty. guys that have dropped. Yes. Because you were like, Brevin Jordan. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, why haven't I thought about Brevin Jordan much? I'm like, well, this is why we have people like Derek Brown on the show to talk about players we haven't really talked much about. What about the Raiders? Anyone on the Raiders who's inspiring you? And feel free to say Brian Edwards. <laughs> you know what's coming. That's the guy I was going to talk about. We talked about him all the way back on the NFL draft stream. It was coming. We had to discuss Brian Edwards on this show. Uh, spoiler had alert. <laughs> and the other thing we have to discuss here, um, he's not like Cornell Powell. Not at all. I know. I love how this is like Cornell Powell is the foil for all these players we actually like. Like, it's not like... 
just to be clear, I know I comped Cornell Powell to Dion Kane for a lot of reasons, but I will admit that there is a non-zero chance that Cornell Powell breaks out. I've seen a lot of strange things happen. I've seen a lot of fifth-round picks break out. Most of them are from small schools, but it has happened that a big Power 5 conference program has a player slip to the fifth round and break out. It's just so improbable because there's just so much tape on these guys and there's so much scouting attention paid to Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State that you're not going to get one of those players past the goalie. It's just not going to happen, man. But it's possible. I concede it's possible. The guy did go to Kansas City. That would be the place to go, right? Okay, it's possible. But when we're playing the probabilities, a guy like Josh Palmer has a hell of a lot better chance of breaking out than Cornell Powell. And as sure as hell, Brian Edwards does too. Oh, Lord. I mean, look, the Raiders drafted him in the third round, and I'm not talking about them being a a sharp front office, but he went in the third round after he was unable to test, couldn't show people what he was able to do. There were other teams in the mix that were talked about that had higher grades on him, and he checks all the different boxes we look for, Matt. I mean, his availability was in question. Because of the foot injury, and he had other years, and you know, missed a couple of games in 2019, his final season, which is the reason why he didn't go over a thousand yards, right? So he didn't hit these benchmarks during his college career, where he had Debo Samuel on the other side of the formation with, with some turd carousel at quarterback, <laughs> right? So this is what we look for. This is, I mean, if I had to create a fictional scenario where you could get maximum upside at a discount in a dynasty startup, it would be the Brian Edwards scenario where he slips to the third round for irrational reasons that he doesn't break out in year one because of injury, which perpetuates his reputation that he's soft. And then just all these things just coming together. Oh, it's the John Gruden offense. It's just everything combining where all these negative sentiments are triangulating in spite of a wide receiver with an alpha profile walking into 100 targets easy. And he's basically free in Dynasty. You can get him outside the top 170 players over an underdog. Not if you're drafting with Josh Larkey, you can't. Not if you're drafting with me, but me and Larkey fight in these best ball streets for him every single time. (laughs) Every time. It's like if we're playing chicken. We're, we're facing down each other in the draft room, and I'm like, are you going to draft him? Am I going to draft him? We're in DMs, and we're like, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it yet. I might have to go up to get him. And both of us are staring down Brian Edwards when we get into these later rounds because of this upside. And it's Darren Waller with a high target share. And past that, who are we talking about? Zay Jones? No. Hunter Renfro? No. Who are we talking oh, oh, oh. Now we're going to talk about John Brown. John Brown, who has now shown us that, yes, the injury bug bites again. He's older. If we're hoping, okay, what? Is he this year's Nelson Aguilar? No, this year's Nelson Aguilar is Brian Edwards. Probably Brian Edwards. He actually looks a lot more like Aguilar than even John Brown. I don't mind John Brown in best ball. You want to stack up? Yeah, same. Carr? and Brown, and Edwards, one of these value stacks. If the quarterbacks go early in your particular draft room on underdog, it's a bummer when that happens. But if it happens and you want to do some of these fun backdoor stacks 
with the lesser quarterbacks, this is fine. This is a fine state. Maybe, maybe, maybe even like in Josh's case, this often happens. He already has Waller anyway. (laughs) He likes Waller so much this year on underdog. That's fine. That's fine. Now, we mentioned Jacksonville earlier. We're more bullish on ETN in both Dynasty and this year than other services. We're bullish on LaVisca Chenault. We're bullish on Marvin Jones. We're even more bullish on Trevor Lawrence this year for best ball than other services. When you look at Jacksonville, which player are you most heavily exposed to there? Right now, and he's being forgotten about in underdog drafts, it's got to be Marvin Jones for me. I mean, he's going in the 120s, and you can create – we're talking about, Matt, these backdoor stacks of good offenses. Yeah. And Marvin Jones, you want to stack him with LaVisca. The only guy garnering ADP in that offense right now outside of ETN is DJ Chark. If we're talking about an offense that's going to have the deep shots, yes. He's the guy I have the least of. I don't have any James Robinson left, and I have very little DJ Chark. I mean, DJ Chark could be epic this year. He could be epic. I just prefer the value on Chenault and Marvin Jones. That's all. That's all. Because you can't tell me with any kind of definitive certainty. You know how the target share is going to break out, how the fantasy points are going to be distributed in that passing game. You don't fucking know. No one knows. Could be Marvin Jones. Could be Chenault. Could be Chark. Exactly. And for these ambiguous target trees where we're like, okay, they're going to throw deep. Who's it going to be for those scenarios? That's why we go with the cheapest guy. We go with the guy that's going the latest. So give me Marvin Jones. Give me Chenault where he's going to go in drafts. See, I'm a little biased here. I'm a little biased because we talked about how Kareem Hunt fucked us in DFS last year. (laughs) Well, Marvin Jones made us a lot of money in DFS. Yeah. Right. Marvin Jones made us a lot of money in DFS. So (laughs) I have to admit, put the biases out there up front. I am not unbiased here. I'm a Marvin Jones fan. I am too. And I'm not of the ilk that he's washed. Not yet. Now, I, I... Best ball and dynasty are two totally different conversations, but in best ball formats, yeah, give me the discount on a guy that could continue to do what he's done over the last few years and catch you eight to nine touchdowns. And at that ADP, yes, give me give me all the Marvin Jones. That's Especially fine. in this best ball tournament on underdog, the best ball mania, the upside is incredible. This offense could be top five in the league. I'll say that again. The Jacksonville offense could be top five in the NFL because the offensive line took a major step forward. This was supposed to be a bottom five offensive line, and it was actually average. And an average offensive line was a big win for Jacksonville last year. Then you had this titanic upgrade at quarterback with an upgrade at running back and wide receiver and maybe even tight end with Tebow. We won't even go there, but... I want to wait for for more camp reports before we go there, but uh, it's, again, stranger things. Stranger things. I mean, Logan Thomas happened last year. Right? Logan, Remember Logan Thomas? Quarterback Logan Thomas? Big arm quarterback? Erratic quarterback Logan Thomas? He was one of the best tight ends in fantasy last year. So I've seen a lot of strange things happen. And Justin Herbert was number nine in fantasy points per game last year as a rookie. And there's a lot of similarities between Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence. Similar statures, similar hand size. And the difference in college between Lawrence and Justin Herbert was the supporting cast. So you put ETN 
and Justin Ross and T. Higgins up there in Oregon with Justin Herbert, his stats look a lot more similar. His stats look pretty damn similar to Justin Herbert. His, his, his stats look pretty similar to Trevor Lawrence because when I put these guys side by side, similar guys. It's just that, I mean, Herbert's much better looking. Right, it's almost like Trevor Lawrence is trying to be Justin Herbert, but he just he, <laughs> he he really he should just embrace his nerd identity. I think he should put the glass. He should wear some sort of like goggles. I would go full Andrew Luck, embrace the inner nerd. If I were uh, Trevor Lawrence, because he's not going to compete with a guy like uh, in a Dreamboat like Justin Herbert. But when I'm comping and thinking about best case scenarios for players, well. Lawrence could be better than Herbert was. Lawrence has a similar supporting cast. Like we're talking about Herbert. He could have a rookie season like Herbert. He could have a rookie season like the way that Joe Burrow was trending before he went out with injury. I mean, he's got tons of receivers around him. The offensive line in those offensive line metrics would have been even better because down the stretch, they were decimated by injury. They're rolling out second and third string backups. So the, the, the system that he's being airdropped into it is one that we have seen support top five quarterback play with Daryl Bevel and with the skill players around him. It is sneaky, quietly fantastic for him to have that Justin Herbert type of rookie season. It is no, no, no doubt. What about, what about Tennessee? So Julio Jones goes to Tennessee. I did a TikTok. Again, this show is just now a vehicle for me to tout my own TikToks, which this the, the, the level of meta. Just, it, it, we're going to meta places that have rarely been gone to in fantasy football media. So I did a TikTok in front of the, the biggest tree in the world, the biggest, oldest tree in the world, and just to illustrate the, the, the sheer girth of A.J. Brown's penis. And then there were criticisms on social media, like, where's your wife filming this? Did you find some tourists and were they embarrassed? Was your daughter, heaven forbid, filming this? This was inappropriate. What are you doing? You're on a family vacation. And my response to that is, fuck you. And uh, so now everyone's suddenly a prude. I stay in a hotel in Hollywood and you can see half of a woman's ass when they're walking down the, uh, the escalator. So I'm sorry, but we're going in the opposite direction of the uh, Puritans in in my audience. You're on the wrong side of history if you're getting worked up over a penis reference, okay? I mean, the percentage of fake butts I saw was absolutely incredible. And then they were fully visible, right? They weren't hiding these fake butts. They You go out and get a fake butt. You want people to see your fake butt. You know, so you got butt cleavage is now a thing. It's crazy, right? This is walking around town and you're going to... Tell me not to say the word penis on TikTok? Are you fucking kidding me? So <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I was just what I don't know what I was just talking about, but I think AJ Brown is great. <laughs> <laughs> we have him in a complete tier to himself on the wide receiver rankings for Dynasty. There's no one else that intersects with all the things you're looking for quite like AJ Brown at such a young age. But is there anyone else in this offense that you're particularly interested in? regardless of format. I think that Julio Jones will continue to be a value um, because people are willing to fade him because of age, even though he's shown us that he's still productive. He's going to give us spike weeks. I'm seeing him fall in the fifth round at many times of underdog drafts. Um, if people are going to continue to fade him, I, and, and this is, I was very, very bullish before the Julio trade. 
I was very, very bullish on Anthony Berksker, but if he's going to fall in an efficient offense that's going to pass, he's still the starter. Seeing the high end efficiency, yeah, with with Tannehill, yeah, he's going to garner red zone looks. I'll, I'll buy into him and and the freebie, the freebie, Matt, at the very end of drafts. Why has everybody just forgotten about third round pick Darrington Evans? Why has wow. everybody just they've forgotten about him? Totally forgotten about him on the productive struggle roster. Took Darrington Evans. Oh, of course. You love to see it. You of course. You, you, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. But I want I want explosive young players in the later rounds. That's what I'm doing, and especially those that had impressive college profiles. And Darrington Evans was impressive. He had that. You know, he was drafted in the middle rounds of the NFL draft, so he didn't fall to the end. He wasn't a seventh rounder. He had. The, the NFL scouting industrial complex thought he was a skilled running back. And I don't care. If you're, if you're punting year one, you don't care about the depth chart. You are just focusing on the talent of the players. And Darrington Evans is a quality receiver with explosiveness and just enough size, just enough size, that he could command a, an Austin Eckler level opportunity share if... Anything happens to Derrick Henry? I don't think anything will happen to Derrick Henry. I think, oh, what if hap- what if X happens to Ezekiel Elliott? Yeah, I can absolutely see Ezekiel Elliott suffering some lower body injury. That's very you close your eyes, you can see it immediately. It's hard to envision Derrick Henry the way he's working out in the offseason. He has to have some kind of freak injury happen to him. Because the way he's working out, these workout gifs are great to see. It doesn't mean he's not going to get injured. It means he's not going to be susceptible to some of these injuries that bring down like a Devontae Parker, players that we know don't work out in the offseason, and they miss three games with a strained hamstring. The probability of that happening to a Derrick Henry is much, much lower because of his offseason work ethic. They can at least solve for that outcome. That's why their injury probabilities are much lower than others who are constantly suffering these hamstring injuries, these quad injuries, these calf injuries. Those can be avoided with rigorous off-season training. If if I'm trying to win now, I'm riding Derrick Henry, baby. I'm all in on Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. But I'm also always happy to acquire young explosive playmakers late just because the depth chart isn't currently set in their favor well if you look at all of his his speed metrics his burst his size he's got the size to carry volume but he's also got the explosiveness to be efficient even if he were to fall into a few targets a game because we know derrick henry is not going to be used in the passing game we've seen it long enough he's a guy that look when he came out my closest comp compared to his 40 yard dash his burst his college yards per carry, he was a guy that I felt like, okay, he goes in the third round. He is the pricier the team paid up for basically the better version of Raheem Mostert. That's what I had for Darrington Evans. Yeah, Darrington Evans is some combination of Raheem Mostert and Naheem Hines. I think those are similar prospects. He's a bigger version of Naheem Hines, better receiver than Raheem Mostert. So I love that. And they're going to a 17-game season, and it's soon to be an 18-game season. He's going to start getting opportunities. He is. There's nothing stopping him. And if I'm a coach on Tennessee, I want to give him opportunities. I want Henry to be fresher. 
I don't want him to carry such a massive workload because again, every carry is it, it increases the probability that he has some freak accident and you don't want that. Well, we talked about unlucky seasons. I mean, we talked about Brian Edwards had his rookie season buried by injuries and weird offseason. Same thing happened to Darrington Evans. Right. Hamstring injuries derailed him. Weird offseason, having a rookie year with no camps. All of these things happened so we could see him more integrated into the offense in year two. All right. Last team I want to talk to you about. We're covering every team in the AFC. We didn't have a plan. We just started talking, and we started talking about teams that were interesting where we're you know, drafting multiple players at the same position in certain dynasty startups with certain you know, implementing certain strategies. Turns out there's a bunch of players on every AFC team we're interested in. There's probably players on every NFC team we're interested in. Maybe we'll come up and do it. Maybe we'll have Derek back for a part two. Why not? Denver Broncos, what's the deal? I mean, you, you, you go with, what, the arbitrage of Cortland Sutton and, and draft uh, Seth Williams, who is free off of Dynasty waiver wires? Is that the move to go to, Matt? I don't know. I don't know what the move it's – it's a conundrum situation because we've all – I think most agree that Drew Locke's not the answer, though oh, yeah. stranger things have happened. Again, he may, it's possible but unlikely, right? It's unlikely that he's – has that Josh Allen – Year three accuracy in his range of outcomes, I think it's very improbable. It's possible. It's much more probable that Teddy Bridgewater takes over eventually because he actually has better ability to consistently sustain drives, even if he can't push the ball downfield as well as Drew Locke. And when I when I talk about Derrick Henry and, and, and noting the offseason workout gifs, well, Jerry Judy's been doing something similar where he's clearly committed to taking his game to the next level in the offseason. And that's interesting to me because sometimes you have a player come out of Alabama with hype and first-round draft capital, and they think they're just ready to arrive. They think they're just going to dominate on day one. They basically think they're going to they're gonna come into the NFL, they're going to slap that Alabama logo on the helmet, and... They're going to slap those Crimson Tide numbers on their helmet. Be like, hey, guys, I was good at Alabama. I'm going to be good here. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Maybe that's what's happening with Henry Ruggs. Who knows? I don't know. But I don't think that's happening with Jerry Judy. He was embarrassed by some egregious drops last year. He was also embarrassed by his quarterbacks throwing it to places where he had no chance to catch it. So he's near the top of the league in unrealized air yards. But the air yards were there. And air yards are the most predictive of the wide receiver statistics that we have. So if you're just looking at air yards, you have to target Jerry Judy. And it is comforting to know that he wants, he clearly wants to take his game to the next level. Well, and you're also talking about being unlucky. I mean, trying to snag balls out of the air from Drew Locke and absorbing. Maybe the top three most unlucky wide receivers were all in the AFC because we're talking about Jerry Judy, super unlucky. Well, no, the top three most unlucky wide receivers, Jerry Judy, Michael Gallup, and Brian Edwards for different reasons. Brian Edwards with the injuries, uh, Jerry Judy with the target accuracy, and Michael Gallup with the matchups. Well, we could sneak in a fourth here. I mean, I know we're staying on the AFC, but I mean, if we wanted to even talk about Darnell Mooney... He was incredibly unlucky last year. I mean, it's insane. That's true. He's getting an upgrade at quarterback. Even Dalton is an upgrade for Darnell Mooney. 
without even talking about Justin Fields. I received some messages on Patreon. When are you going to start talking about Darnell Mooney? And I said, well, we're going to talk about Darnell Mooney on the show with Derek Brown. But I was not aware that there was so much hype because I've been on vacation in the last week. Well, I've been away from my workstation. There's been a hell of a lot of hype around Darnell Mooney. And that was surprising to me. It was good. I love it. I love to see it because, yeah, his season could have been so much better. I mean, there's clips and clips and clips of him just dusting cornerbacks and the ball sailing over his head. Talking about unrealized air yards, he was 10th and then 71st in Mm. catchable target rate. Mm -hmm. These metrics, I mean, it screams. If we see even a a, a smidgen of Andy Dalton or we see Justin Fields sometime this season, those are going to come back. We're talking about regression. Do it. Justin Fields. Do it. Do it, Chicago. Do it. Do it. I saw John Daigle from NBC Sports Edge speculate that Justin Fields will be a sharp play for those playing in week one showdown tournaments, gambling that he takes over in the second half and he essentially puts up a full game's worth of monster numbers just in the second half and that you could actually win the showdown with Justin Fields. That might be a move. Tangle's exact quote on my podcast was that Aaron Donald is going to steal Andy Dalton's soul in the first half, and then Justin Fields just comes and balls out in the second half. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton goes down with a shoulder injury five minutes in, and then it's Justin Fields for the rest of the game. Hell fucking yeah. Stack the showdown monies. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, I mean, Darnell Mooney was a fifth rounder, and he didn't crest 10 fantasy points per game last year, and he does not have an alpha profile. He's never going to be that guy, right? There's one Tyreek Hill in the league, and I know every GM is chasing the next Tyreek Hill, which is what the Giants did going after Kadarius Tony, thinking, oh, this is just, you know, we, we just, we, we need this guy. We need this archetype of player, and this guy is just the, the closest thing at this point in the draft. That is just the stone worst process for picking a player you could possibly imagine. We're just trying to get a copy of a copy of a player, even though by far and away the closest version of that guy, Jalen Waddle, went 15 picks earlier. But there's a reason why we have Darnell Mooney in a different tier ahead of the Gabriel Davises and the Brian Edwards from that class because he flashed in a much more powerful way last year than those other receivers. And he's walking into a clear number two wide receiver role where he supplanted Anthony Miller early last season. The targets didn't come immediately, but the snaps were clear. He was out snapping Anthony Miller very early on. Well, and and we talked about this player earlier when we mentioned the Raiders, but could we see Darnell Mooney have a similar type of career arc, uh, obviously, if he stays healthy because of the speed, the size, to somebody like John Brown, who when he gets the volume and he's healthy and he's on the field, he's productive as hell? He's never going to be super valuable in Mm -hmm. Dynasty. I can't imagine him getting up to like a Chase Claypool level player. The players that are in that tier, with the exception of Tyreek Hill, look like Allen Robinson. They look like Chris Godwin. It's If you think about who the next Devontae Adams is going to be, it's going to be a guy that looks like A.J. Brown, looks like a proper alpha. That's not Darnell Mooney. 
But in Dynasty, you typically start more players. In these patron leagues, patreon.com forward slash podfather, we start five receivers. Now, you're not starting five receivers. But I'm in a bunch of Dynasty leagues where there's three flex players, right? You start two running backs, two receivers, and three flex. Well, you think about that. On any given week, you may be thin at running back, and you're playing Darnell Mooney week in, week out. He's contributing to your team. He's not a bench player. He may not be in the number one chair, but he's starting for you in Dynasty, where in some other formats, he may not be starting. So there, his value goes up. Absolutely, and he has the ability in this offense, and we're talking about if Justin Fields takes over earlier than most people expect, to have volume and have these ceiling spike weeks. And from your flex, those are the things that put you over the edge in Dynasty Leagues. Absolutely. He was super productive in college. He has the requisite speed. If you're going to be that size, if you're going to be 5'10", 180, you got to be a T.Y. Hilton, John Brown level speed. If you can't show me a sub 4440, I'm out. I'm out because we've seen time and time and time and time and time and time again these wide receivers that the film guys loved were undersized and not as explosive as advertised. And they flame out each and every time. The bar is so high for a small, slower wide receiver. But if you can show me 4-3-5 speed, the world opens up to you. Because you can play a field stretcher role in the NFL. You can see more snaps. You can see more targets. And then if you have good field for the position, if you can find a way to wiggle your way free, like a Jerry Judy, like Darnell Mooney, then your 100-plus targets is in play for you, where for most small receivers, 100 targets is a pipe dream. So, that, so for that reason, you have to like Darnell Mooney. But because he is in that, that field stretcher archetype, I don't think I would center any deal around going and getting him. He'd be more of a player that I try to weasel into a deal than I like have a full frontal assault trying to acquire. Yeah, you get him as an add-on. You you say, okay, well, I, I'm going to make a one-for-one. One. Okay, well, if you throw in Darnell Mooney, then uh, okay, fine. Right, we'll, right, we'll, right. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll do the deal. No, I'll give you a third rounder. You give me Mooney, we have a deal. Yeah, yeah. Bada-bing. Bada-bing. Done. Ship it. There you go. There you go. Okay, I'll get you out of here. Two-part question. Give me your number one truther, who you're still hanging on even though he, the guy has stunk, and then I need a bold prediction. Whew. Um, so I'm going to lead off with my bold prediction here. I am going to go with Rashad Bateman is going to be a top 24 wide receiver this year for all of us in fantasy. Yeah, baby! I am in Why for not? it. Why not? Why not? He is going to revitalize that Baltimore offense. The on-ramp is available. There's no one standing in his way, a wide receiver. I think that he could be fantastic. And considering everybody talks about the Ravens are not going to throw more, they're not going to throw more. Lamar Jackson has never thrown to a wide receiver of the ilk of Rashad Bateman. Right. I'm in for it. Right. And right now, his his ADP on underdog is absolutely criminal. So I, I, I got to go with Bateman as being my guy. As far as the guy that's, whew, I mean, look, he, he's hurt us. He has led us astray. I'm not willing to quit Traquan Smith just yet. Yes. Oh, it's a good answer. It's such a good answer. He's going to play out of the slot. He has explosiveness 
to hit you with those double moves out of the slot. Oh, I, I, I love the Traquan Smith route tree. Let's make it happen. That's a good answer. It's such a good answer. He's going to play out of the slot. He has explosiveness to hit you with those double moves out of the slot. Oh, I, I, I love the Traquan Smith route tree. Let's make it happen. He's shown efficiency. The only thing that we haven't seen for him is consistent volume. And this year, if it's not Adam Troutman, if you're not in on Adam Troutman, you're not going the Captain America route then you got to go back in on Traquan Smith. I mean, look, I, I, I get Callaway flashed, and he had some times where he got high targets. Traquan Smith has shown us the efficiency that we clamor for every single year. All we need is the volume. So I'm not out. Still buying in. That's the show. He has a top five week on his resume. He has 100-plus yards and two touchdown games early in his career. He's done it. We've seen it. He's the guy I want. I think we're going to have him in DFS in week one. I love it. Love the call. I, I think he's going to be fantastic this year. Well, let's see. I, I I don't even know what the especially if Winston when Winston gets named the starter, which is going to be so great. Well, let's just see who they who they play week one. I got to memorize the goddamn week one schedule soon. Same. Daigle's already out here with takes. <laughs> he's talking about week seventeen. <laughs> he's Daigle's talking about he's talking about week one showdown. I'm like, oh, man, Daigle, raising the bar, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, where are the... Do, 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 do. Yep. Saints, Saints Packers. Ooh. Ooh, they're going to get Jair Alexander's going to go up against... Michael Thomas? No, yeah, Alexander against Thomas. That should open up Traquan Smith as your, your fringy flex-wide receiver. Oh my We're god, you're going to one showdowns. You're going to want to play. You're you're, you're going to looking at it. You're going to shoot out. You're looking at an over under over 50. You're going to want to play Jameis Winston. Stack him with Oh my god. Stack him with Traquan. Oh my god. Game on, dude. Game on. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. the that's the late game. Yep, yep. That's yep. the two late games are Packers Saints and Broncos Giants. Oh, it's going to be it's so Dolphins good. Patriots. Ooh, Chiefs Browns, Browns Chiefs. That's gonna be a good football game. That's gonna, That's gonna be a good regular old football game. There, we're gonna see the Browns defense in action right away. Interesting. See if they hold up. Interesting. Yep. All right. Oh, week one talk in June. Love it. <laughs> My legs don't fit under this. This desk is for like a child or something. I wish I could have given you a better show sheet, but oh, you're good, man. Trust um, me, I understand. It's all good. Like. I was prepared, like if we didn't even even have one. So I mean, that's all good. No, I oh, we're 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 doing a show, dude. <laughs> we're, 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 we're we're doing shows. That's not that's not up for debate. I'm used to flowing everything off the cuff, so it's it's all good either way. I've I've dealt with uh, especially when you do those radio spots. They never give you a heads up on what you're going to talk about or anything like that. You're like, okay, just anything and all things. Cool. Yeah, we can. We can oh, let me just grab the show. What I, I so I have some general guidelines here. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Because we're not quite... It's People aren't quite getting super into Scott Fish yet. Yep. Uh, we're, we're, the, what, about two Dynasty is Dynasty has kind of been talked over a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in we're in that weird June. Hence the hence the vacation. Hey, trust me, I just right? got back from vacation. So you I did, got yeah. Food. June is like I tell people it was the best time to. I think that's when Matthew Barry does his big family vacation too in June. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a it's a it, because of the draft you can't really do it. You have the combine, you have the draft. You know, May mm-hmm. is very dynasty. Everyone's talking about rookie drafts. Yep. You know, June, we're going to have to, we, we, we're just going to have to, we'll surprise ourselves with the show that we make. We'll make an amazing show and we'll be like, how the hell did we do that? You know, uh, because, you know, I talked to Ray uh, yesterday. He was, he's in Hawaii and I was like, uh, yeah, oh, yeah there you go. On, uh, next week. And he's like, he's, you know, so. Everybody's going out of town right now. We had all good things. We're all recharging the batteries, getting ready, man, because it's almost uh, ready time to rev up, especially best ball. And the the California just <laughs> opened on the fifteenth, so I just happened oh, to be. We didn't know that was going to be the case. We planned it months ago, so just we got lucky, <clears throat> you know. <coughs> That's I mean, good. California was ready California? for it. Are you staying a week or two, or how long are you in there? I was there for two. I'm here for two weeks. We're, nice. you know, we were running around a little bit. Now we're just settled into this beach house for a week in Laguna, so it's not as uh, crazy with travel. Going to Ojai and L.A. and Sequoia, we're just kind of in one place. But I, I'm still trying to find some TikTok content. There was a there was a side street that was Golf Street, <laughs> and there was no cars on the street. There was no traffic. It was just this very dead side street. And I was like, this this is the perfect illustration of what you're getting from Jared Goff in fantasy football. Just a bunch of nothing. <laughs> it's great when uh, when when content and life aligns that way. Yeah. I was like, oh Goff Street. We can do a video. Let's uh, I, I got some I got I got a, I got something on Goff. You know, it's like, oh, this isn't very analytical. Oh, that's that was an obvious take. I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm on vacation. This is bonus content. This is just this is just bonus funny shit. Shut the fuck up. Well, then you got the two trash cans behind you in the background. You're like, these are my friends, Tyrell and Brashad. Hi, yeah. what's up? <laughs> trash cans. <laughs> Where's Quintez? Yeah, yeah he's, no, he's the recycling bin. There, you got to move the move him out of the way. You can see him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's great. Someone's gonna catch him passes there. Probably Swift. Probably Swift. Josh was uh, fighting about. Cornell Powell was someone who was like trying to say, "Oh, you yeah, guys, you I guys saw are... that about midnight last night." I, I threw in my Brian Edwards take for the for the uh, for the fam. What's the difference between Brian Edwards and uh, and uh, and Cornell Powell? Pretty much everything. What's the I similarities? don't know. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? So, what is similarity? What? Uh, the, but the closest thing they have in common is uh, what shirt off pictures and they're shredded. I mean, that's about it. Like past that, like what are we talking about here? I, I'm pretty sure Edwards would have been starting for any any school oh he was behind a bunch of studs well <laughs> what i'm old enough to remember i have a good memory for stuff like this I, i'm old enough to remember the Dion kane takes oh so you be careful be careful I mean, buddy if, if justin ross wasn't hurt and cornell powell didn't go to kansas city we wouldn't even be talking about him we literally would not care about him at all well he sure. wouldn't have been drafted probably Exactly. I mean, at least Deion Kane was like out there and yeah. making, you know, he, he, 
yeah, it's hard to hard to envision a scenario where he's drafted. Um, but he flashed, so good for him, man. Um, so we'll. Uh, so I'm going to bring you on. I'm trying to think of my. I'm trying to do a new, uh, super rambunctious intro. I'm watching uh, the gears turn live here. This is all. <laughs> you know, I, I can't remember. I was like, I had something, and then. Uh, so okay, here, 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 here we go. Welcome to the Road to Wonder World radio program from FTN. <laughs> because we have a favor, and he has the cowbell. Derek Brown! Talk to me. Oh, Matt. I don't know if I'm going to be able to load that intro, man. That was amazing. <laughs> I kind of nailed it. I got it. I got it. It was a good one. It was a good one. It was a good one. It was a good. It was a good. No, no. You, this is why Player Profiler exists. So you can go and actually look at the guy side by side and go, okay, there's no comparison. If you want to compare Adam Troutman to someone, you compare him to Dallas Goddard. And that's the end. That's it. It's infuriating. Fade Adam Troutman. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what are you talking about? You're killing people. Fade Adam Troutman. It couldn't be me. It what couldn't are you be doing? Me. I just think it's hilarious. It's like, let's take the two things that don't even, even if we squint as hard as we possibly can, that don't look anything remotely similar and compare them. It's like, what, what parallels are you drawing here? It's like, we did it. We did it. We made it. We've arrived. Yeah. How do you think Jimmy Graham's doing it? You think Jimmy Graham's doing it with fucking vitamins? <laughs> huh? You think anything that's what he's doing? How do you think that's possible? Mmm. 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 <laughs> you know it was coming. Ah! That's the guy I was going to talk about. Ah! We talked about him all the way back on the NFL draft stream. It was coming. We had to discuss Brian Edwards on this show. Uh, spoiler alert. To. Marlon Mack's done. Achilles done. Achilles done. Achilles done. Achilles done. Achilles done. Hey, 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 buddy. Hey, hey, hey. I'm waving at you. Hey, wait, hey, wake the fuck up. Okay. Availability is the number one trait that I look for. Availability. <laughs> the number one thing I look for is availability. If you're not available, then you have no value to me. <laughs> availability. You know, so you got butt cleavage is now a thing. It's crazy. Right? This is walking around town. And you're going to tell me not to say the word penis on TikTok? Are you fucking kidding me? So, I don't know what the fuck I was just... What, I don't know what I was just talking about. But I think A.J. Brown is great. <laughs> yes. Come on. Do it. Do it. Do it, Chicago. Do it. Do it. Right? They weren't hiding these fake butts. They, you go out and get a fake butt. You want people to see your fake butt. I don't know what the fuck I was just... What, I don't know what I was just talking about. Tangle's exact quote on my podcast was that Aaron Donald is going to steal Andy Dalton's soul in the first half, and then Justin Fields just comes and balls out in the second half. <laughs> Check out this talent pipeline. Look at this. Look at this Cornell pow. Came out of nowhere, man. We've arrived. Oh, you're good, man. Who's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, Mike Williams. He's here. Yeah, yeah, he's here. Hold, let, let me get him for you. Hold on. Yeah, oh, so you want Mike Williams? Oh, okay. Let's talk. Yeah, yeah. Bada bing. Talk to me dirty.
Look at this Cornell Powell. Came out of nowhere, man.